listening to episode 263 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we begin the second half of our journey with the Netflix series, Dark. And, dude, I can't wait to talk about it tonight, edit it tomorrow, so I can watch the next episode. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's definitely um, at that point where, where I'm like, you know, I just, yeah, I, I want to now binge them all in one night again. Yeah, and as I say each week, there's so many details that I've forgotten that, mm-hmm. I mean, it just still seems fresh, which is, you know, good for us anyway. Yeah, it's it's a really, really deep show. There's uh, <clears throat> very rich uh, story-wise as well as uh, cinematically. Uh, and there's just a lot there. There's a lot. Like, and I read Fred's feedback. I'm like, man, there's all this stuff that I missed like when I watched it. So, Yeah. And, and you know, F- Wayne just mentioned Fred's feedback. You can email us at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab, record your own audio clip the way Fred does, and just send us the MP3. Tweet us at sci-fi TV rewatch or join the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. And this now, week it- we're accepting feedback in smell-o-vision. <laughs> There you go. All right. So it's been a while. I want to remind everybody about our Patreon account that we opened to help defray the costs of producing sci-fi TV rewatch. And, you know, as we said before, we're never going to charge for content. And if we do bonus content and, and Wayne and I have been talking about it, we just haven't been able to act yet. You know, it'll be available to everybody, patron or not. And, of course, we hope you choose to become a patron. But, you know, if not, no worries. We're still going to keep talking about the shows we all love. So, If you're interested, go to the website, look for the Patreon link on the right side of the page, or you can go to patreon.com slash sci-fi TV rewatch. And just want to do a shout out to our patrons, Mike Jacobs, Cindy Barrick, Dan LaRock, Fred Petrie, a.k.a. Fred from the Netherlands, Harvey Williams, and Kenneth Pricer. Thank you all. It means everything to us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. So, and gals. All right, now. Tip of the week for me, I've mentioned that I'm watching Broadchurch, and we just started season three last night, and if anybody has any doubts about Jodie Whittaker as the new Doctor, I'm so freaking psyched for this to begin. I love her in Broadchurch. I just think she's going to make a phenomenal Doctor, and I was pretty open to the gender switch, but... I, I, I just can't wait, dude. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, I mean, like I said, with the, tra- of course, trailers, I mean, what does that tell you? But, you know, with the trailer as it is, it seems like it's going to be, you know, different. And, of course, it's going to be different because there's a new showrunner, uh, you know, different writers and everything. So, obviously, with, with Jody Whitaker, th- there's a lot there. Um, sure, there's going to be you know tons of jokes available, like you know referencing the gender switch. But um, you know, it's 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 always so exciting to get a new doctor. You know, like of course we always kind of pine for the old one, and and we don't necessarily Hoovians are not necessarily the most open to change all the time. But uh, you know, this is definitely a uh, this is a a landmark occasion, right? This is in the almost 60 year history of the show. This is, uh, this is history in the making. So it's going to be cool. Yes. And she's great. Now, ha- have you seen a video where she's late getting to San Diego comic-con? No. Oh, I'll have to try to post it on the Facebook group. It, it's, it, it's just like a minute and a half, but it is just awesome. And cool. I, I won't do any spoilers on that, but uh, you, do you have a tip of the week? I do. It is a uh, Deadpool two. So, Dave, you're now you're two movies oh, in the Of course now. it is. <laughs> um, which is awesome. Uh, I don't know if it, there was a, a new director for it. It seems, you know, obviously there's a lot of stuff uh, very similar to the old one, but with a new, you know, kind of uh, new story in there. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Still super funny, uh, extremely violent, uh, just great all around. Loved it. So, so Dave, now you can, now you can binge both movies at once. All right. Sounds good. Although I think like, like, you know, you know, like when I recommend something this strongly, you know, you're going to love it. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I I have had to go back and relink some of the photos 
on the Facebook page when we did the switch over on the URL and I never got around to the movies and I just did the one for 28 days and Shaun of the dead uh, a couple of days ago. And I thought, how the hell did he get me to watch these? But, <laughs> but they're, they're pretty good. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. Well, speaking of pretty good, that's quite the understatement for dark episode six uh, of season yeah. one. <laughs> Sick yeah. Mundus Creatus Est, and uh, I'm sure Chris Cates would tell me, dude, you're pronouncing that incorrectly. Yeah, he'd be all over that, I'm sure. Thus the World Was Created, written by Yante Frisia and Ronnie Schalk, who also wrote episode 102, Lies, directed by Baron Bo Odar. And wow, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm saying this every week. There's just so much to talk about. But what about the meaning of the title, Thus the World Was Created? I mean, I guess I don't look at it as a reference to a creation myth or anything like that. Well, it, it is, though. Like, somehow what happens in this episode, you know, creates the world or the world as it is or, you know, like... So something ha- – and obviously we can't tell what that is. I mean obviously the biggest thing that happens here is that Jonas travels back to 1986, um, which obviously seems like a pretty big deal. But uh, so that – you know, maybe what he did there then has repercussions or is it something that Magnus did or something that Katarina did or, you know, or is it uh, Katarina's severe beating down of Regina? There's so many things that happen, but something in there caused a major shift, I guess. Okay. All right. So, so, I mean, certainly the world, the time traveling world, I guess. And of course, that leads us to the question, who's responsible for the cave? And we don't get an answer to that, but we certainly do get a lot of information that, that we didn't previously have about the caves. And, you know, as you said, Jonas makes it through to 1986. It appears, though, he suspects something's a bit off. And whether he knows he's in 1986 remains unknown. But, but when he realizes that the girl in the truck his name is Hannah. This is a small town after all. And whether, you know, he notices that, oh, you do kind of look like uh, my mom. You look like my grandfather <laughs> a little bit. So, yeah. So, so we don't know what he's thinking. But, you know, and, and there are several storylines we're going to talk about. But one that's sort of just left to its own devices in just two small scenes is that deal with Peter and Tronte in that cellar. Yeah, what the hell? Well, and they're talking about 19 minutes to go. And and of course, we're thinking to go until what? What are these two up to? But the lights in the town, uh, you know, especially at the play, because I think that's where we are at first when we see them flashing again as Katerina leads her daughter off the stage. Tronte and Peter are still in the cellar and they've got that notebook in which dates and times have been recorded. Yeah. And, and we see an entry for 9.17 p.m. Peter's looking at his watch. So what I'm wondering, do the town lights flash when somebody goes through a cave door? Well, that's definitely what it seems like, right? Right. So if so, Tronte and Peter seem to already know that someone is going to go through the door at 9.17. Yes. So how do they know, and from where and from whom did they get this logbook to begin with? And well, what the hell are they doing? the future, obviously. Okay. Yeah. It's got to come from the future, right? right? They already had the present date down. Like, that could only have been done in the future. And uh, ah, what a mess, man. Oh, my God. Well, right. And, yeah. and I agree with you. But from whom did they get it? And what the heck are right. they doing? I mean, are they just sitting there? It's like, oh, let's see if it happens again. Oh, yeah, it happened. But well, are they down with Noah? You know, are they somehow like, you know, we posited last time that the stranger is Jonas. And certainly that theory seems to gather all kinds of credence now. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So are Tronte and Peter working for future Jonas and, you know, but what are they doing? You know, it's, ah, it's, 
it's so it's crazy. No, I like that. I didn't think about the fact that they could be working for future Jonas. Now, we also see Magnus walking along the train tracks. He pulls out Francesca's box that appears empty, and that's when he notices the necklace of a bird in the dirt. And on the one hand, I'm not sure how he noticed that among all the muck, but our first question is whose necklace is it? And Fred's going to address that in his feedback, and I think we, we, right. we get a definitive answer. But what does it prove? And, and we'll hold off talking about that until we get to the discussion about Francesca. But between Fred's screen caps that he provided and I think just putting two and two together, we do get some answers. But then Charlotte's ramping up the search, suggesting officers go back into the archives as far back as 50 years, which I don't right. know, that, that seems pretty extreme to me. And then the camera shows us, and I assume this is on the wall of the school. You know, I mean, we certainly know that at our school, there are photos of different teams, but they don't necessarily go all the way back to the beginning of the school, though. Well, we do have the the senior class of of each year. Well, yeah, but that's in the front office that the kids don't necessarily have access to. So this is a small school, so it seems as if they must have a class photo of each class in the wall and of course we see one 1987 and front and center is mickle i guess most kids they're they're too concerned with their social lives talking to their friends they probably never take the time to even look at the photos yeah but you know again it's been they've had 33 years for someone just to catch an old picture to say Hey, well, not 33 years. I guess they've had since, all right, let's say since Mads actually started looking like Mickle. When Mickle started, you know, becoming, getting closer to the age where he went back in time, that, um, you know, so let's say that's maybe at least, at very least one year, maybe two or three, where he really looked like what he looked like when he got sent back. And that no one just kind of like, in that whole time, no one just glanced at an old class picture and saying, whoa, wait, you know, hold on, Mickle, you look just, or Michael, you, your class picture, you look just like Mickle does now. This is crazy, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. No, I agree. I, I don't mean to nitpick because that, that's a, a stupid nitpick, actually, the more I think of it. But, you know, it just seems like, like someone would have just kind of noticed that, you know, that whatever. Well, but I, I, no, I think you're you're right to point that out. I I don't know that you consider it a nitpick. I mean, I don't mean to you know, tell you what you think, but but I agree with you that on the one hand, it seems hard to fathom nobody would notice it, but on the other hand, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, obviously, Jonas exploring the cave is really i think the most significant aspect of this episode and and it begins when he talks to his mom about how she met his father and of course we know that story and we're wondering is she going to embellish things and she really doesn't i mean it's not a very long conversation but she does tell her son how she met his father but then there was the mention about what he was like before he got sick so we don't know what led him to hang himself, but clearly he was you know, experiencing emotional distress. So, you know, we don't know how long this has been going on, but but clearly it right. was. Yes, and and right, and the, by referencing that he got sick, so that there was you know something wrong with Michael that that you know quite possibly you know we're, we're trying to figure out why he committed suicide i mean maybe this quote unquote sickness that he had whether it was a mental or a physical one you know maybe that is what led him to commit suicide yeah because you figure he made it this far i mean as an 11 year old boy he understands i traveled through time there's no way to get back to my other time or at least he doesn't understand or he doesn't know about another way and yet he seems to have adapted relatively well or so we're led to believe so yeah whatever it is he seems like he's about to ask his mother something and then backs off so yeah what that is i i don't know did you speculate um i don't you know i don't know there's so many things he could ask her especially since he just read a note 
his father telling him that he was this Mickle Nielsen that you knew. He went back in time, stayed there, grew up, and became Jonas's father. So to say that he has questions about this, that's kind of probably kind of an understatement. Yeah, right? yeah, and I think it's really fortuitous of him to not ask that question if in fact that's that's what he was about to bring up because i think he understands he while he may love his mother uh, i'm not sure he trusts his mother yeah yeah right absolutely right. and also well well and i agree with that 100% because especially that he calls her mother not mom right well and it's never i can never figure out what's an accurate translation right, exactly i was about to say yeah that because i am listening to the dub version but i'm pretty sure that it, it's like the formal in german as well so i mean if that is the case uh if the original script has him in german referencing her as mother in a very formal objective fashion distance fashion then you know that kind of you know, kind of adds more fuel to that fire as to what the relationship is like between Jonas and Hannah, because we really don't see them interacting except for just like basically him walking out the door, not even to see a mom love you, just kind of like comes and goes as he pleases. Hannah really has, doesn't seem to have much effect on his life at all. Right. Well, to confuse the issue even further, I can tell you the audio, as you know, he says, mother, the subtitles say mom. So ah. you, as I have always said, I always have the, the subtitles on as well. But right. regardless, he goes in his room, he gets the items that the stranger gave to him. He pulls out the map and he notices that follow the signal. And I, and I really got the sense that he recognizes the fact that this notation wasn't on here when I first got the map. Right? right, because we saw the stranger go into his room and write something on there. I assume that's what he wrote. But you know, he packs up all the items, enters the cave, and uses that futuristic light the stranger gives him. The Geiger counter, and and, and he proceeds into the cave. And one of the first things he he notices is that red cord attached to an anchor, as if somebody wants to be able to find his or her way out. Just. Yes. You know, like the... Uh, well, especially as Martha at the same time is in her play is the, performing the story of Theseus in the Labyrinth. And, you know, as we talked about before, right? Absolutely. Ariadne's thread. And, and we know that's, in fact, the play because you, re- you get a quick glimpse of it on the door of her dressing room, the little poster yep. for the, the play that she's in. So Right. Well, and then in the play, when, you know, did you notice when she gave the thread to Theseus, it was red? Yes, absolutely. Now, he follows the red cord, which maybe explains the piece he finds on his bicycle earlier, sort of. I mean, I start wondering now, did the stranger put that piece of cord on his bike so that he would make some sort of a connection? Otherwise, how did it get there? Right, right. No, well, yeah, because he, you know, Jonas was in. All right, I'm, I'm going to get deal, t- details confused here, but you know, Jonas went to the cave. Then the stranger was outside, watching him go. And then when Jonas came back out, then the you know the red cord was on his bike. So that's definitely. Um, I think that I, I, if I had to say, I, I can't say with any certainty, but I would say that the stranger put that on his bike so that when Jonas eventually gets into the cave he would recognize the red cord and follow it. Now let's take this a step further because, you know, if the stranger is future Jonas, he, this has already happened, right? Yes. So he knows, Oh, okay. I remember I saw the red cord on my bike and that got me thinking. And then when I went into the cave, I saw these red cords and I followed them and I ended up in 1986. So all he has to do is play out, the game that's already been, oh my God, it's just <laughs> time travel. <laughs> Woo. Yep. Well, my brain's starting to fizzle a little bit. Well, so he, he, he comes to the end of the red cord and it's, it's attached to this ring that seems to be embedded into the ground. And 
that's the point he brings out the Geiger counter and follows the signal, which gets stronger as he goes farther into the cave. And, and he eventually comes upon a metal plate door, whatever you want to call it, with sic mundus creatus est engraved on it. So, of course, who built the doors in the cave? When did they build them? I mean, the inner cave is clearly man-made. We don't know by whom, we don't know when, but he opens a door which closes behind him, sees a corridor ahead that, that keeps getting smaller, and he eventually comes to another door that looks the same, opens, it goes through. But did you notice also there did seem to be at least two paths that he could take? Yes, yes. And he chose were, the one yeah. less traveled. Oh, Nice. Well, I, mean, I think he took the one plenty of travel because it seems like there's a lot of uh, traffic back and forth in 1986. Yeah, but so so we know there's at least two, and if there's two, there could be three. We di- we didn't see them yet. Sure, sure, but yeah, certainly because he has that choice, right? And he, like you said, he chooses which one to go down. Now I don't know if there was any rationale, but uh, rhyme or reason behind which one he chose, but he just he chooses one. He goes down it and pop, pop, pop. Yeah, I you know, in, in retrospect, I wonder, because I don't remember if the signal was stronger that direction. I don't recall that he was still holding out the Geiger counter at that point. But Yeah, I don't recall that either. I, it seemed like to to me that he just kind of picked one over the other. But I don't know. Fred will let us know for sure next week. <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> of course, our first question, where and when is Jonas as he exits the cave and he, he comes to that bus stop that we've certainly seen a number of times uh-huh. immediately sees the missing posters for mads and the first time i watched this i thought oh what the hell is he thinking but he's got that letter that the stranger right. gave to him so so that he's probably piecing things together as bizarre as it must be for him so that when hannah and her father pull up and ask if he wants a ride and he hears that her name is hannah whether he realizes he's in 1986 is again kind of irrelevant he understands i'm sure that he's in the past right yeah absolutely and you know there's there's like part of this also while we're talking about you know hannah and her father this is, again, a situation where there's a person in 1986 who isn't, as far as we can tell, we haven't met in 2019, right? And who's that? Including uh, Hannah's father. Oh, right. Correct. So we've this is like now the second time we've seen him in the past. Uh, you know, uh, Charlotte is, right? Yeah. No, Cla- I'm sorry, Claudia. Claudia, then, is the other one. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the older people like, uh, old, you know, Titleman and, uh, the Dopplers, Peter Doppler's dad, you know, I mean, but those guys are old in 86. Like we can accept that, that certainly they will have, you know, passed on uh, before 2019, but, uh, Hannah's dad is the same generation as, you know, Tronte and Yana, so I, what I'm th- I wonder if there's more if we're going to see that there's more to that, you know. Yeah, sure. Sure. Now, speaking of finding out whether or not there's more to something, Ulrich essentially reopens Mad's case. I mean, it's certainly not officially, but he goes into the 1986 files and pulls his brother's case and he looks at that photo of the two of them and certainly that's not the first time he's seen that photo, but right. we we learn what it is he really gleans from that but before that he listens to the interview tapes and immediately he hears his mother talking about the the events of that night and we can tell right away he doesn't believe what it is that she says so so of course then he goes to his parents house and sees his father and we don't see a whole lot of hugging in dark although in this episode we do and you know we'll get to some of the other it later on but Mom's asleep. She's on pills, his father tells uh, Ulrich. And he asks whether or not there was ever a suspect with Mads. And, and we didn't need Ulrich's father to tell us that Egon Tideman was an idiot. But 
you know. Right. But he does confront his father because he knows his mother was lying about where his father was that night. Yes. Which probably he was, you know, in the old bunker there. Well, I mean, he he says though he was with his girlfriend uh, yeah. uh that night which Or does Yana tell us that? Uh, uh yeah, yeah. Yana tells us that. Yes. Yeah. And and uh he just relies on the old the old what he's done that before is just kind of keep lying through it and like are you suspecting me like you're know, getting all you know his hackles up and everything. Well, um, well, right, and then the mother is, comes in the room and alibis her husband again, and, yeah, and hugs. she's really an enabler here, you know. Like, well, but uh, obviously the truth comes out because mom starts telling that story about the brothers fighting on Christmas Day. I think she says over the action figures, and that Mad's got a gash on his chin, and you know that line. I think. Uh, if you have siblings, one minute you hated each other's guts, the next you were best friends. And and I think a lot of us that have siblings can certainly relate to that. Yeah, definitely. But he asks her why she lied on her statement. And that's when you know she tells him that his father was having an affair and that she wanted to leave him, that he was with Claudia Tideman that night, and that we learn Regina was the last one to see Mads that night so we're, we're getting all of this information thrown at us people that we didn't necessarily suspect and i'm not sure we still do and and i think that's one of the beautiful things about this episode is just that they throw so much at us yet they manage to answer so many of the questions and resolve so so many of these things that we did have thrown at us and of course yeah it's kind of like we talked about last week right that that, that phenomenon how they you know answer questions but then create questions at the same time right but then the truth comes out about ulrich being accused of rape at 17 and and we learned that he always assumed that it was regina that turned him in but after she goes through that that conversation about how mads was really the only nice person that she knew the only one that never had a bad word. And she always thought, why him? And point blank blames Ulrich for Mad's disappearance because he had to walk me home because I was afraid of you and Katerina. Which, you know, fair enough. Yes. The first scene of the, of the episode is, you know, Regina tied up to a tree. Yeah. So, you know, Regina, I, I think I think she's becoming like one of the more fascinating characters in this series, in this episode. Yeah. Um, she manages to, you know, at one point we see her tied up to the tree. And so, of course, we feel sorry for her. Obviously, she's scared out of her mind. She always seems like a teenager that doesn't have a ton of confidence and everything. Um, so she's, she's scared. She's, you know, I'm terrified, I would say. But then, you know, like she goes and, and says stuff like she says to Katerina. And we're like, ah, oh, there's the Regina I remember, you know? Like she's so bitter, which granted, it seems like she has just cause for being bitter. But her bitterness is just, she just wears it like right out there on her sleeve. Well, you know? well, and a lot of the characters do. But as you say, I think no, none more so than Regina Tideman. And, you know, after he has this exchange with her, he goes to the 86 file and and verifies that what Regina just told him is, in fact, true. And then we see him sitting in his car looking through an old photo album when when they were kids. And obviously he notices something that causes him to take it from the page. And, and, And that's when he goes to the morgue, pulls out the body of the kid in 80s clothes and we see the scar on his chin. Right, right. Well, because that that uh, sweatshirt that, let's just say now, cause, I mean, it's Mads, obviously, that yellow sweatshirt would not have registered necessarily before. You know, when they picked up the body and he saw it, it's like, oh, my brother has a sweatshirt just like that. You know, it's been 33 years. You know, like there's, you know, he, he wouldn't remember every article of clothing, but then as he's going through the photo album, well, now that sweatshirt has meaning for him. Right. Now when he sees it, he's just like, wait a minute, you know, and then he goes and finds a scar and, 
Wow. Right. Now, it's just like. Yeah. Now, Fred's going to bring something up about that in, in his feedback. So I'll, I'll hold off on, on uh, expanding on that for later. But Ulrich then confronts Hannah about what she did then. And ordinarily, I would think, and, and I tend to believe you would agree with me, that if somebody says what he says to her, we would think, oh, my God, what a horrible person you are. But he tells her, no wonder your husband killed himself. You're poison. Yeah. And you know what? If anybody deserves that, it really is her. I mean, she really is a horrible. Well, I don't know. She's not good. She's not good. Yeah. I will grant you that. She. I might even take the title of the worst and remove it from, I just generically put it on the entire Titleman family and now slap it on Hannah's forehead. But that being said, that's a harsh thing to say. Yeah, 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 right. And and I think, but, it's, but of course, he did just learn that. Sorry, no, go ahead. Oh no, I'm just saying, like he did, you know, just learn that, you know, she's the one who got him arrested for rape when he was a teenager, and so, you know, that's upsetting. Yeah. And basically, she tells him in so many words in the present that, yeah, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get you. Yeah. And fortunately he walks away, but you know, we've been talking about Regina Tideman and while we can certainly put two and two together that her breast cancer likely has something to do with the nearby nuclear power plant. Really all we see here is that she and her husband appear to be growing closer together. And while we don't necessarily have any evidence that their marriage was in trouble, I mean, was I missing anything? I mean, other than that, what do we really no, see? Well, here? I mean, I think, yeah, well, really, like, I totally agree that here it seems like it's actually like a healthy functioning marriage, which we really haven't gotten that yet. Exactly. Like in any generation, like no, no one, like the grandparents, no, no, all bad. Uh, parents, yeah, all bad. All all marriage is bad. Uh, but now we see Alexander actually concerned, caring, tender with his wife. Uh, we're just not used to that. Yeah. Now in this episode, in this yeah. show. Now to talk about Katerina for a second because she's really having a lot of difficulty coping. And I've seen this episode three times now, and I'm still not sure how I feel about it because I understand it's only been like four days, I believe. And on the one hand, I think you're the principal of a school, you know, you have a responsibility there. And then on the other hand, I think, wait a minute. No, her son is missing. Somebody else can keep the school running while she does whatever she needs to do about her son. But when she doesn't want to allow Martha and Magnus to go to school because it it somehow sits badly with her that they want to resume their lives. You know, the the fact that she has been consumed with his disappearance, I guess really hits you right in the gut. And on the one hand, we certainly can understand her teenage children. Not that they don't grieve their missing brother, but, what are we supposed to do? How? What's the proper amount of time that we have to stay home? Right, right. Well, yeah. And so we see Katarina's absolute frustration. She's the parent. She wants to be able to do something, right? She sure. feels like I have to be doing something to try and find my son. Perfectly natural, right? Yeah. Um. So... But this idea that, but now I think she's probably reached a point where she's probably done as much as she could possibly do and to absolutely zero avail, you know? Yeah. So, but she still feels like, well, no, you know, you could be handing out these flyers, you could, you know, and the kids are just like, we need to go to school. Like, you know, like ultimately you have to get back, but it's only been a couple of days, especially for Katarina. Yeah, obviously, it's going to take her a while. Right. And, and, and when, we, the, the sad thing is, from our, our perspective, is we know Mikkel's not coming back. You know, like the, she, she could 
like Yana, right? Yana still pines for Mads. It's been 33 years, and she's still playing with his toys. Right. And when Martha tells her mother that Mikkel is dead, you need to face it. I I mean, we're really horrified that she would say this to her grieving mother. Interestingly, and I find this fascinating and I, I just, you know, really just really engaging that Magnus who tries to be the voice of reason and then hugs his mom after Martha storms out. And that's just really so meaningful to me because we've been, you know, pretty harsh on Magnus uh, from time to time, but it, it was not something he felt he had to do. I think it was something he felt he wanted to do because he understood what his mother was going through. Yeah, I I feel like I've kind of stood up for Magnus a little bit, but you know, obviously the kid has heart. You know, we see that here, um, and you know, we see two very meaningful hugs here. Um, you know, when Magnus hugs his mom here, you know, she's in a terrible spot. Uh, she just slapped her daughter who stormed out the door. It was perfect. Like, what 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 should you do, Magnus? What he did, perfect. It was just the perfect thing to do. Um, to be there to comfort his mother. He's not going to make things better. Mikkel's not going to come back, but it's just some little bit of what she, I, I think she just feels she needs like her family to be support. Like right now we've just seen this family kind of broken up, right? Yeah. They're all going their different ways. They're not together. They're not helping each other. Um, and this is the first time that, that one of them reaches out to help the other. And then this, by the same token, when Martha breaks down during her speech at the play, that Katarina comes up and gives her, which is a super emotional hug. And so we can see this family maybe starting to heal a little bit, starting to come back together. But unfortunately, it's going to be tough to get all back together because Ulrich left the phone records lying out. And she does what is the logical thing to do, call the number she doesn't recognize, Hannah answers Ulrich. So obviously, yeah. well, why would she do knows. that? I know. I don't know. Like but, a okay. So I, I, clearly, she doesn't have Katarina on you know in her contacts list. First of all, she knows Katarina. B. Do you just pick up the phone that whenever it is a number you're not familiar with, and you just say Ulrich? Like, come on. Now, third thing to criticize this is really printed out phone records. When's the last time you saw printed out phone records, Dave? Uh, never. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, well I in college, know. yeah, we would get like the, the long distance bill, right? Yeah. That would have all the numbers that people call long distance, but that's like, that, that's not a, like, I don't, again, maybe in Germany they, they do that, but like, you know, when we get our phone bills here, it's just basically the bill, right? right? It doesn't have a list. And if they did, and if I were having an affair, the last thing I would do is leave the phone bill lying out on the table. Now, granted, you know, Ulrich's not really focused on this. And, and obviously, probably, Katarina might have opened up the uh, you know, the bill herself. But it's just, it it seems a little dodgy, this whole thing. Yeah. I know. I was bit, we believed it more if like his phone was sitting on the counter and Hannah called him while Katarina was right there. She's just like, why is Hannah calling you? And then she checks his history and realizes Hannah calls him like 20 times a day. Like yeah. that would have been maybe a little bit better. But. Well, and you know, it just kind of leads mm-hmm. into the next scene with Katarina where she's sitting in her car and she calls the radio station's hotline for the talk show that's on that evening and they immediately put her on the air. I want people to understand what's really going on here. There's a murderer here among us. The city is sick and all of us are part of it. And it's just, and, and, and she certainly says even more than that, but it's just, she's so disgusted, I think, with everything and everyone that she sees around her that I, 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 I really fear for her. It's it's funny because she is kind of, as an adult, voicing what she's felt about Wyndon since we know, since she was a teenager at, at the very least, right? Right, right. So, yeah. I mean, 
there's just this this there is stuff going on in this town that's crazy that is very dangerous and and you're right she's putting herself out there for sure yeah and speaking of dangerous i think we'd all agree violence is never the answer but it did kind of feel good to see katarina slug yeah (laughs) regina well i mean regina asked for it you know i I mean like i guess there's a, a certain expectation that you are an adult and so like you know we don't handle things through violence anymore and so like, when we say things that when you're teenagers would earn you a beat down maybe you think you can get away with it as an adult but she did not get away with it she got a royal beat down right and and as magnus is taking his mother out regina says tell them who their mother really is and and of course we're thinking immediately well what does that mean and and fred brings it up in his feedback i mean with the, some of the things that we saw her do as a teenager now we can excuse it that she was a teenager, but right. I think we both know that most teenagers are basically pretty good kids and that they don't do things like that. Right. Well, I mean, teenagers can be mean. Well, they can sometimes. be, but, 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 but there's a point beyond mean that it appears Ulrich and Katarina went on a frequent basis, at least with Regina. Right. Or just maybe they just tie. Uh, okay. So maybe when I was a kid, me and my sisters might have tied up my youngest sister and threw her in the closet because she kept changing the television station to what she wanted. And then she would, you could pull the knob off. So she would change the station to like Great Space Coaster and then pull the knob and run away. So we might have done that. But that's my understandable. Sister might still be. A, Right, exactly. Uh, my sister might still be a little bitter about that and still once in a while bring it up. So it was really just the one time, but unfortunately it kind of made an impression on her. So did they just tie her up in the woods that one time and it's just was so traumatic? It's possible. Was it a series of things? That's also possible too. We saw Katarina. She's kind of arrogant and mean as a teenager. Um, but... Uh, but, you know, like Regina just earned that beatdown. Yes, that did. wasn't like, look at what your mother's like. She's a horrible person. Like, no, you taunted her. You basically asked for her to, to belt you, and she did. So, like, no, it doesn't mean Katarina's a horrible person. It just means she's on the edge. Her kid is just disappeared, and she's grieving, distraught. She's all kinds of a mess. And you decide to taunt her. Uh, That was just not a good call. Right. And and that comes on the heels of the confrontation she has with Martha earlier in the day, which, while I don't think Martha intended to taunt her mother, it kind of came across that way, I think, for Katerina. And and she ends up slapping Martha. So, yes. All right. now, Now, speaking of Martha, and you already mentioned the play a little bit. At the beginning, we see she's in her dressing room. Bartosh comes in, and clearly she's not happy to see him. And, you know, he tries the whole thing. Ah, oh, it was my fault. It was my idea to go to the caves. And, and, and of course, we're thinking, and Martha doesn't say it. Okay, fine, but we didn't have to go with you. So, you know, it, it, it's really not his fault. But then, of course, she rebuffs his attempt to kiss her. And he asks her if she wants to run away. I'm like, oh, Come on. Yeah. Uh, well, and it just kind of, uh, it's another example of this theme of, you know, people who want to get out of Winden, but yeah. no one gets out of Winden. You know, but everyone wants to leave, but no one actually does. Yeah. Now, you know, you mentioned the play, and I'm wondering, is there a deeper aspect that we're supposed to, to take away here? I mean, some of the lines that her character Ariadne says, a loose end in time, and so we all die alike. Well, it it does seem as if there's a loose end in time going on in Wyndham. And the other thing that occurred to me, I'd love to see an American high school put on this play. I don't think we'd. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I was just saying, like, yeah, I I did actually have my notes right down. It seems like a very minimalist, uh, very artistic 
type play, um, you know, mostly what we get in, in America, high school plays are like, you know, big dramas with lots of costumes and sets and all these big productions. So, yeah, which I guess would surprise no one else in, in the rest of the world. <laughs> right, exactly. But you mentioned and what a powerful performance by uh, Martha's character. I have the actress's name in my notes for when Fred uh, brings it up in his feedback. But when she becomes sobbing, at first we're not sure if that's part of the play and part of her character in the play, but but I think it's just everything is just coming to a head for her. And when Katarina comes out of the audience and goes on stage, I mean, again, what a powerful scene. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and everyone in the audience is like, damn. Well, yeah. And, <laughs> and then it ends, and I, and I love this. When, when she knocks on her brother's door, and, and first thing, go away. Can we talk? Yeah. And I just what a really nice scene. She lies down next to him, you know, in his bed. What the fuck was that back at our school? No idea. <laughs> I'm thinking like, yeah. uh, what a great exchange between these two. And they don't know about the affair, I assume. But when she starts wondering about their parents as teenagers, we don't really know each other. You know, she, she says, and, and how much truth there is to that. She of course doesn't realize, but I, I just really love that scene. I mean, you know, brother and sister that, that again, just like Ulrich's mother says about Ulrich and Madge, you know, one minute you hate each other, the next your best friends. And, and when she asks if she can sleep with him, nothing untoward and his thing just keep your cold feet on your side (laughs) like yeah i I love this scene right absolutely great great scene as we said uh this family is starting to experience some level of healing and uh and yeah like you know certainly when she plops down in bed you're like oh are they are they gonna go there it's is this gonna be some sick twist here but but no, it's just a, a very sweet brother or sister who really do care for each other. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a nice little scene. Yeah, and they're just in the middle of a mess. I mean, it's one thing to have their brother disappear. Now their mother is distraught. You know, they're probably sensing something going on between their parents. It's just a lot to take in. And, and that they take comfort in each other is just, as you said, it's just really a sweet scene. So uh, before we get to Fred's feedback, uh, anything you want to add? Well, no. Well, there's also one more thing, like how um, I think Martha says, or Matt, one of them says, you know, we're a family, but we don't really know each other. And and like I said, absolutely, that that's, that's what we've seen is before, is that they just really haven't connected. They've always, from the first scene where we see them, where they're all going off to school, and each one's doing their own thing, and then, you know, Mickle disappears, and... And, you know, everyone kind of is dealing with it individually on their own. But now, at least for three of them, that they're starting to come together to support each other. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, that was that was really nice. I don't know. I think we might have, we might have covered it all. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we take a listen to Fred's feedback? As always, he's got some great stuff tonight. So let's take a listen. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with Feedback for Dark, Season 1, Episode 6, called Sig Mundus Creatus Est. First off, because I always listen to your podcast on my bike to and from work, I once more listened to your Episode 4 podcast after I, you, I submitted my audio feedback for Episode 5. So I have some leftovers from Episode 4 now, reactions to what you said in your Episode 4 podcast. You were quite judgmental about Peter and Charlotte not picking up Ellie at school in time. Well, it seems I have to play the advocate's devil here a little bit for them. When Charlotte realizes that she couldn't make it in time, she called Peter to do it. And he would have been there in time if Ellie's classes hadn't finished early because of a sick teacher. Okay, something went wrong with the communication about the sick teacher but you really can't say that they are just crappy parents. I think that's really too harsh a judgment. Second point about episode 4. When Charlotte was at the Doppler's cabin, you said it was strange she she didn't knew that bunker, or bomb shelter, or whatever it was. I think it was not that she didn't know it, 
but it was just that she was creeped out by what she possibly could find there. Certainly, after Peter is not confessing to her what he did in the night, Mikkel disappeared, and after finding the red dirt on the driveway towards the cabin. I'm quite sure she knew the bunker, because when she comes down the stairs, she can easily find the light switch in the dark, so she knew where it was. Furthermore, you had the idea that it was a Cold War bunker. I think it's more a Second World War bunker, because you see written on, on the wall, sechs personen, meaning six persons. The font that is used is really old German, so I think World War II would be more likely. And I'm sorry to say, but I think that Wayne is right again with the red thread on Jonah's bike. If it wasn't his own bike, he wouldn't have bothered about it. Anybody could bind a little red thread on his bikes. When Magnus is walking uh, under the, the bridge, uh, I did a notice for first, he finds the necklace uh, next to uh, the dirty mattress, just in between a collection of used condoms. I searched for a scene where you can see it really is Francesca's necklace, and I, did, I indeed found it in episode 1 and episode 2. When the kids are at the caves and Bartois is looking for Eric's drugs, Francesca comes out of the cave and has the drugs. At that time you can see the necklace. And also in the beginning of episode 2 when Francesca encounters Magnus in the woods, you can see it. So does this all mean Francesca is having sex for money? And if yes, who are is her customers or are her customers? Do we know him or them? Uh, and is Magnus going to confront her with this? Just shortly, a fully uh, other topic I want to touch upon. I had just finished the first season of Counterpart. I watched this series mainly because Dave gave me the tip about uh, this nice series, uh, because Olivia Wil Williams is playing it in it, who we know as Adele from Dollhouse. I have to say that series is uh, not in general, but in some way reminiscent of Dark. Uh, partly it has the same atmosphere. They are both playing in Germany, both filmed in a somewhat dark black, black and whitish fashion. In both you go down into a tunnel or a cave to get to another world, and both are full of unclear mysteries and not right away explained stuff. And finally, both are recommended by you. Okay, about episode 6. First I want to give a shout out to Lisa Vicari, the in 1997 born German actress who plays Marta. The age of Marta will be around 17, and Lisa, the actress, was 20 uh, when she played the role. Well, 17 or 20, it doesn't matter. I have to give her a big compliment for how she played uh, the breakdown of Marta during her role in uh, the school play. And what makes everything even more dramatic is the fact that her text gives a reference to what happened to her brother, as well as to what Jonas is experiencing in the case just at that instant. So also a big shout out to the writers and filming crew of Dark. Last podcast you were talking about uh, how bad all these families are. Well, Katrina nicely summarizes that in this episode when she is calling the radio station. This city is sick. Winden is like a festering wound. And we are all part of it. It's quite a harsh situation that just after that uh, scene with Katrina um, and using the word festering wound... In the next scene, Alexander is calling the mammography center and discovers that his wife had metastasized breast cancer. As an MD, I have a big nitpick here, of course. I think they would never give this kind of information to a third person, not even a husband. And I feel pity for Ulrich, poor Ulrich, finally starting to know the truth about Hannah through what Regina tells him. Plus the fact that if he has hadn't uh, teased Regina back in 1986, his brother possibly wouldn't have been lost. Big new questions. What are Tronta Nielsen and Peter Doppler doing in that bunker? What are, uh, why are they there and what are they waiting for? Two, what is that booklet with all those dates and times? And we also see some in the future. Is Francesca having sex? Three. Is Francesca having sex for money? And who are her customers? And do we know them? Or is that just an unimportant aspect of the story? 
4. Regina says that Martha and Magnus are not Katarina's children. What the heck? Sometimes I think this series just has a mystery overload. Although uh, we also partly uh, solved the mystery in this episode. Um, we are quite sure now that the unknown 60-looking kid is Mads Nielsen. Uh, we see the yellow shirt uh, on the old photograph that Ulrich pulls out of the family album. It's the same shirt as they found on the dead 60-dressed uh, uh, dead kid. But, quite a new question of course, how did his body uh, didn't compose over 33 years? That's of course a big question. And he didn't age, like Mikkel developed into Michael. Uh, final Sherlock Holmes stuff. I also checked the letter uh, Ines has in 2019. Uh, if it's really the same as Jonah gets from the stranger. And it really is the same letter. Okay, all for now. A lot of questions again. Greetings, till next time. Fred from Nella. Alright, we mentioned Francesca's necklace that uh, Magnus finds on the ground. And, and that question that's been raised before whether she's having sex for money i certainly hope not because i really like her character but i gotta tell you that area where magnus finds the necklace and we see the condom wrappers on the ground Ugh. is so grungy and disgusting yeah i think i'd be more horrified that anyone would have sex there let alone you know, right francesca right but you know when you're teenager you oh, take it where you can get it i, I guess, guess. So, i don't know but but but, but, <laughs> but yeah but uh see i'm just not ready I, to believe I, 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 that's where she's getting her money so yeah but you know like it's so funny because like well and how i guess that's rather misogynistic of us that like you know when we realized she had a big stash of secret money hidden that's like oh well either she's selling drugs or she's hooking you know well i mean i guess the whole implication there with where she has the money hidden is that she's earning it in some kind of seedy manner not necessarily and you're right we we hope she's not because yeah we do we really like francesca she's one of the more sympathetic characters here um but right now i you know that the implication certainly is there that that's exactly how she's earning it which of course allows the showrunners to set us up for this and then completely sweep it out from under our feet later when we find out she's just been moonlighting at like a flower shop or something. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, Fred brings up Counterpart, uh, one of the shows that I guess we'd mentioned a few months back. And and I think we've said this before, but one of the things I just love about these international series, and I've mentioned several times that my wife and I have watched a lot of Spanish Netflix, is that they have a different sensibility that we as Americans don't see as much in our TV shows. And I love the somber feel that these German shows seem to have like dark counterpart Babylon Berlin, which I believe you recommended to me um, or did I recommend it to you? I can't remember, but no, I definitely recommend Babylon Berlin to you. Okay. So, uh, you know, I, I just love the feel that we see in these, these foreign shows. Now, uh, Lisa Visconti, that's the actress that plays Martha. Uh, uh, Fred points out the, performance that that we see out of her tonight and not only in the play i think it's easy to only focus on that performance powerful as it is the scene earlier with her mother when her mother slaps her and then the scene that we talked about with her brother uh, at night in his bedroom I, I just all combined i mean just just again just you know yeah I, I don't know how old she is i mean she can't be more than 20 or so in real life but just what a great job yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, I think she, I mean, she's been doing a solid job like the whole time for a character that doesn't get like a ton of screen time. Um, but she really uh, does a great job when she's in there, especially those scenes with Jonas that were you know some really tender scenes as well. Not in this one, but in the earlier episodes. Right now, uh, Fred points out the connection between Katarina's call to the radio station set against Alexander's discovery of his wife's cancer and. Again, it's something that I think Dark does exceedingly well, connecting all of these different families and how it, it, on the surface it might not be the same thing that's going on with one family, but at the heart of it, 
it kind of is. And I think this is just another example of, of the dark writers doing that. And Fred, uh, Fred has mentioned that, you know, we mention problems we have anytime they uh, have a scene in a high school. And Fred points out several times about the medical inconsistencies that he sees. And, and I too wondered about giving information to someone other than the patient when Alexander calls the, uh, the cancer screening place. But anyway, all right. So yeah. Fred brings up a couple questions. What are Tronte yeah. Nielsen and Peter Doppler doing in the bunker? Why are they there? And what are they waiting for? Well, I mean, we kind of talked about that already as to what they're doing in there and what they're waiting for. I mean, clearly that book is going to is telling them when somebody's going through the door in the cave. (laughs) But how that ties into, you know, what they're doing, who knows? And then, of course, the booklet with the dates and times, as you allude, it, it has to come from the future. So that they know these yeah. things are going to happen because they've already happened. And it's almost like they're just ticking off boxes as they happen. And if I recall correctly, I think I noticed that on the at least the page that we were able to see, I think there were two more, maybe only one more. So I, I don't know what that means. Yeah, and it looks like they're kind of highlighting the one as it happened and like the one before it was not highlighted yet. So I don't know what that is about at all, but yeah, I mean, we said this is super, super sketchy right here. Yeah. Um, both of them seem to have some idea of what's going on. Uh, both of them have been acting really, really guilty, but as to the exact nature of their involvement, I mean, what we could, we could probably say for sure is these two seem to have, definitely have some kind of idea and maybe even know that people are able to, you know, go back and forth in time. But then what does that mean? I don't know. Yeah. Now, one of the things Fred brings up about Francesca and, you know, whether or not she's having sex for money, he brings up, well, who are our customers? And I, I guess I find it hard to believe that they're other teenagers, if in fact we're going there and I'm not ready to go there. So uh, I'll just leave that. Uh, for now but he brings up a question that that i tried to put some thought into how has mad's body not decomposed and we don't know first of all how the time travel works in this scenario exactly i mean if somebody leaves 2019 on november 10th and they end up in 1986 is it also november 10th i assume so but we don't know that so Mad's body must not have been sent to 2019 until just a few days ago. So it was right. in 1986 when Mads went in, right? But we don't know for sure when he goes or how long he stays. Well, just that he but, was. But sent. that's the thing. Like that when he was, even though he was killed 33 years ago, if they brought the body back through the tunnel and dumped in the ground, then apparently he pops up you know, right at November, 2019. Right. So, I mean, that, that's my best speculation for, you know, the lack of decom- decomposition on right. his body. Well, yeah. Cause he's literally has only been dead a couple days. Yeah, exactly. So, well, Fred, great stuff as usual. Um, I can't wait to get to episode 107, as I said in our intro, yeah. but uh, anything else this is your last chance. I know I asked you once before, but. <laughs> no, I mean, like, uh, there's just, there's so much in this episode. Uh, it's, you know, I, I, I feel like we've talked about everything that I had written down in my notes, but, you know, I'll probably I'll, I'll think of something later on. I'll be like, oh man, I meant to, well, I meant to talk about that a little bit. Well, more, but, F- Fred yeah. mentions, sometimes I think this series just has a mystery overload and I think <laughs> they know the point at which too much is too much and they go right up to that point. And I I just, again, I just love this show. So, all right, well, why don't we leave it there for this episode of sci-fi TV rewatch? We, Oh, oh oh, yeah. What I did, I just did see one thing. You always do this. 
because <laughs> like i'm like kind of going through my notes as you say that I just like kind of skim through it well that symbol like the 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 three that's on the door oh yeah that yeah. was like one of the one of the guys in led zeppelin right was like that was their symbol that little i think it's kind of like a celtic knot type symbol so okay yeah you know what that's i was it. wondering i just wanted to say that. led zeppelin okay <laughs> so whoever built the door was a zeppelin fan yeah absolutely and who isn't really yeah, good point. So, all right. Well, listen, that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Dark. Anything else going on in genre TV? Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. And if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails go to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the Speak Pipe tab, which you can get through the website. And we'll be back next week to talk about Season 1, Episode 7 of Dark, titled Crossroads. But until then... You know what, Dave? I thought I knew you. How easy it is to be deceived.